Thank you, Stacy and TJ. Oh, beautiful rendition of Psalm 23. Thank you. I love how the setting of it really invited us to dwell, right? Surely I will dwell, and we're just sitting in that. So good morning, Wellspring family and friends. It's good to be with you all this morning. Um, we've been going through a series on prayer with the other churches in our broader community. We're part of a broader network of churches called the Evangelical Covenant Church. And um, in true Wellspring fashion, even though we've been going through the series with them, we've changed the texts around and made it more complicated for ourselves. <laughs> uh, but we decided to land, this is the last Sunday in the series together, we decided to land in the same theme as everyone in our denomination, and that is the theme of sort of cultivating a yieldedness to God in prayer. So we figure, oh, you know, we might have gone our different ways in the middle of it, but let's land together. So we're going to be looking at a passage in Scripture um, where we see uh, Jesus in this moment of prayer where he's really cultivated an openness to make room for and say yes to God, to make room for what God wants to do, the good that God wants to do in the world. And it's not a passage that's without complication. And I have my own complications with this passage. So I'm going to mention some of them in the text. And I just invite you that whatever comes up for you in this, uh, that you are, um, that you pay attention to it. If you feel flooded or if there's anything that you feel like you might want to come back to later on to explore with a trusted friend or therapist that you do that. Because um, sometimes the passages we look at in Scripture, they deal with very big things of life and death and goodness and evil and um, how we live in the here and now. And sometimes that can bring up things in us that can be uh, difficult or complicated. So we're going to get to the text in just a second. I do have to note that Pastor Dan was going to be preaching this message today. So he was actually on the schedule, and then at 10.30 last night, he woke me up and said he was feeling very unwell. So he, is, he doesn't have COVID, but he's not able to be here today. He's taking a break. He's at the beach right now. He's okay. The kids are okay. But it's just a little, sometimes life can be a little bit much, and we kind of need to have a little bit of space. So he's, he's well. He will be well. But for many of you who cope with depression, I know many of you have heard Pastor Dan talk about his depression, including from up here. Sometimes you just have days where you need to go, I can't do today, and I need someone else to, <laughs> need someone else to be with me. So... Um, yeah, there's, there's no shame or blame in that. This is just real life, right? This is like who we are and we come as people and some things can sometimes feel very heavy and difficult. So um, he will be okay, but definitely pray for him. Uh, he has some really good support systems and he's leaning into those. So that's wonderful. But it did mean that he gave me this wonderful outline at 10.30 p.m. last night. It was gorgeous, and there was a lot in the first section. It was, like, amazing. I'm like, wow, you're good to go. Just make it a one-point sermon. Uh, and then as it goes on, you'll see uh, I had to do a little bit of work this morning. So I just invite you to bear with me as we look at this text together. Um, I've said before that sometimes when I don't have enough time to prep, um, it means I drag on longer. And so I will try to be mindful of our time, especially as we began late this morning with our having our um, technical difficulties. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into the text. Um, as we pull up the passage of scripture, which is in Matthew 26, 35 onwards, whether you're um, opening it in a paper Bible or on your phone, we'll have it up on the screen too. I, I do want to give a little bit of context for where we are in the story of Matthew. The story takes place at the very end of Jesus' ministry, at the very apex of his ministry. And it's the night that he's betrayed. It's the, the, night, before, the night before he's, he's murdered. And he just had his last meal with his friends, and they went out to this garden, this place called Gethsemane. And that means olive press. 
which means that they were probably in a little olive orchard. Might have been some pomegranates too, who knows. And chances are, either there was at that time or there had been an olive press in that area. I think symbolically for Jesus, I can just imagine that he must have felt very pressed inside his soul that evening too. There, as he's in this, this gorgeous, this olive, olive garden in this, this beautiful place, it's also a place that for him meant a lot of struggle, meant a lot of pressure, a lot of push and pull of competing hopes and fears, thoughts and feelings. And as was Jesus' custom, when he had a big day ahead of him, or maybe he had just had a big day, he would always withdraw to a quiet place where he could have some solitude, where he could just be with his Father in heaven, where he could just take some time in prayer to, I can imagine, recollect himself and to lean into the empowerment of the Spirit. So this time, though, perhaps because it was the worst night of his life, Jesus takes a couple friends along. It's a really gripping passage of scripture, and there's so much we can get from it. I'm going to pull out just a couple things today. There's so many, so many Bible studies that can be done on it, so much journaling, so many different kinds of sermons, including some on friendship and fear. Uh, but the one we're going to look at today is just in Jesus' prayer. We're just going to be looking at the section where Jesus' prayer is recorded for us. Matthew 26, 35 through 42. We can go ahead and pull the first slide up there. So then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit over there while I go and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. The next slide. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so you don't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. So friends, can you picture this scene in your mind? It is a sad scene. There's a lot of grief surrounding this evening. And in this moment, Jesus can really feel it all. Because Jesus is a very well-integrated human being. He can feel and think it all. I see him here wrestling with his inner values and sort of the conflict of knowing what is to come, both the good as well as the deeply difficult. Because I know that God would not spring something like this on Jesus, who is a third being in the Trinity, without notice beforehand. Scripture verses we see later on in Scripture even tell us that before the creation of the world, this was known about. So it's not as though Jesus is somehow surprised in this moment, but you can imagine how he still must have felt. You don't have to be surprised by something to be feeling a lot of deep and complex feelings. Because in this moment, Jesus has the choice to make. He can either move ahead with their plan, or he can do something else. Because I have to believe in this moment, as I see Jesus, as I see God, it's a very healthy being, the most healthy being there is. Jesus is not forced to do this deeply difficult and hard thing, which is to be betrayed by friends, be handed over to not just the religious leaders, but also the political leaders of the day, and then be executed. 
And even in the moment when Jesus is betrayed, if we were to back up a little bit before they find themselves uh, at this moment where they're praying in the garden, even before this, uh, we see that Jesus had the power to call down tons of angels. Um, actually, it was after this. It was when they come to betray. It's when they come to betray him. That's right. And then he tells them, put away your sword, and I could send all these angels down, call them down from heaven if I wanted to. So we know that Jesus had the option. He was thinking about it. Should I press the panic button? <laughs> the get me out of here. Send your angels. We are not going to do it this way. Jesus had that option. We even know it was on his mind, as he mentioned the angels who could come and save him later on. He had options. And in that moment, he chose to pray this yielded prayer. Because he knew that if he said yes to this, he would be demonstrating the depths of divine love. The depths of divine love in the face of human rejection, human evil, sin, and violence to reconcile those of us who've gone astray from the God who's always been reaching out, always present, always seeking restoration. So I'm going to go right ahead to number one in your notes, and we're going to get back to this, this scene in a second. But number one in your notes is that cultivating a yielded posture in prayer means disentangling from ways of yielding that bring goodness and those that don't. As I, as I look at this text and also read the own story in my own life, cultivating a yielded posture in prayer means disentangling from ways of yielding that bring goodness and those that don't. Let me, let me unpack this a little bit. As some of you might know, um, Dan and I like to unwind after the kids go to bed with a cup of tea. Uh, sometimes I have coffee. He does not drink coffee. But we usually like to watch something together. We can go ahead to a blank slide. And in the past, when we first got married, we were very young, and we weren't very like, differentiated from each other. We were very, like, very immature adults. We basically felt that, like, whatever I think, you must think the same thing. Whatever I like, you must like, too, because we like each other. <laughs> It's like, it's kind of immature, right? But that was us. <laughs> that was definitely me. And so if you can imagine, I don't have this on the screen to show you. It won't show up today, but I want you to imagine an AT&T logo. It's one of those like circles and that has like figures of blue and black kind of like interwoven it, but it's like a globe. It's basically like a globe. If you saw it, you'd be like, oh yeah, it's AT&T. Uh, and basically that was like the Venn diagram of what we thought we liked. We both like the same thing, some different colors in there, but it's like one, you know, our Venn diagram of what we like to watch together is very, very big. And over the years, as years have gone on, we've realized, actually, we've gotten more mature. We have things that are very different about us, and that's okay. So we're a little bit more now like the MasterCard logo. If you can imagine two, two circles, and there's a little bit of overlap. There's a little bit of overlap. <laughs> and then every now and then, we just can't seem to find something that we like to watch together. You know, all our favorite shows have ended. This is where we are right now. All our favorite shows have ended, and we're trying to find something like to watch together, and we're a little bit more like John Lennon's sunglasses. <laughs> They're very separate circles. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Since you can't see on the screen, just imagine it. Uh, sometimes it feels like that, and don't feel bad for us. There's a lot of other things we'd like to do together. This is just a very small one. Um, so since our favorite shows ended, and we're in a part of the cycle where we're just kind of watching things on our own, um, I've been watching this series called Shiny Happy People. And uh, it's sort of like a docu-series. And it's a deep dive into this one particular fundamentalist stream of the church. It's an expose of sorts on a very, uh, a brand of high control Christian fundamentalism. And it's one that my family was shaped by in really formative ways when I was growing up. So I've been watching it through this week and Dan has been sitting and watching it with me, even though this is 
not his cup of tea. We're a little bit more like John Lennon sunglasses, but he watches it with me because he knows that there's something really healing and powerful for me as I've been watching this. You see, this, this documentary is told through the lenses of whistleblowers and women who've been able to leave the movement and who have survived some of it, including the eldest of the Dunker family. I don't know if any of you ever watched the reality TV show 19 Kids and Counting, uh, but it, it was formed very much by this particular stream of the church. And together, she and a few other women and men, um, they really share their experiences with this particular brand of Christianity. Um, by this one guy, Bill Gothard, who had a huge homeschooling movement. Over 2.5 million people either went to one of his conferences or camps or purchased their homeschooling curriculum. And it was really, really hierarchical, very patriarchal, and there were a lot of things that were very, very dangerous about it. Uh, the guy had no children and he was not married, but he, he basically told people how to be married and how to have children. God bless him. Oh, he needs a lot of blessing, that guy. <laughs> I'm like, how did that go, like, unquestioned? I don't understand it. Uh, but basically modeled this very authoritarian approach to life, to parenting, to marriage. And involved, if you were a child, like, constant spanking. This idea that children were evil and you had to break their will so they could be reformed in God's image. And um, women were really shut down and demonized and blamed for the shortcomings of men and you name it. It just, the, the list goes on. And I know for Dan, as he was sitting here with me watching over the week, it was really hard for him to see like different scripture passages being taken so radically out of context, like passages meant for freedom and equality and um, God saving and to be so twisted uh, to rationalize sexism and harm and foster this kind of culture together in which women exist to please men and men exist to rule over women. If this sounds totally nutty to you, then I am so glad. Hooray! <laughs> you were not one of those 2.5 million people, or your church wasn't, or your family wasn't. It's wonderful. Uh, even though it's Dan's his not favorite show, he watches it with me because he knows that there's something healing in it for me as I hear the stories of these women, these courageous people, um, share about the steps in healing they took. And it's been healing for me to see that I'm not alone as I go through my own steps towards healing from recovering from specific kinds of spiritual trauma and pain. So my own experiences in a high control environment mean that I know firsthand how complicated it might be for many of you to hear a message on being yielded to God. For some of you, some of you listening online, maybe even many of you, some here in this room, it can be really complicated to hear a message about being yielded to God when that particular kind of language was used as a weapon against you. Now, Dan, he grew up in the church and he had a quite different experience. He had a wonderful one. And I'm going to try to read this because I'm going to read this from the manuscript he wrote before he got sick. Is that okay? All right. So it's, this is Dan's voice. I'm not going to attempt to imitate. He has a lovely voice. I'm just going to read it in my own. <laughs> he says this. I too was raised by American evangelical Christian parents, but they gave me a lot of freedom to make my own decisions. I could choose the music I listened to, the books I read, and the movies I watched. My parents would ask for my opinion on questions like where to go on family vacations, which school I wanted to attend, and which charities to support. Dan continues. With so much autonomy and choices growing up, it makes sense that in my college years, I was drawn to ideas about God that emphasized humanity's need for structure, authority, and clarity about the way those things should be. 
I felt compelled by the majestic and transcendent God whose power and greatness far surpassed even the richest, most influential and successful leaders on planet Earth. In order to truly know this God of infinite love and find my purpose in life, I saw my role was to surrender my will to God's will, to let go of my plans and instead let God have the driver's seat in my life. There's nothing wrong with this. It was easy for me to hear these messages that it's a good thing to surrender, good to commit, good to submit, and good to yield, because that was the path to walking in God's ways that were higher than my ways. At that time, I didn't realize how much my upbringing shaped me and made this message easy and compelling for me to hear. As a boy, my Christian surroundings encouraged me to be a leader, an independent thinker, maybe even a pastor someday. I was given the benefit of the doubt and leeway to make mistakes. I didn't realize that the idea of a God who takes charge appealed to me because I was already the boss of my life and I needed help to manage that responsibility. For those of you who like to cook or like to eat, <laughs> I guess it's all of us, it's nice when a meal that we share together, so first of all, thank you, Dan. That's the end of his manuscript. Thank you, Dan, that was wonderful. Um, when we're eating a meal, it's really wonderful when the meal has a little bit of different kinds of tastes on it. Like, I remember my first experience of eating a bento, like a real, a real bento. And it had that wonderful pickle, and it had the savory rice, and it had the umami, unagi, some kind of eel, I don't know what it was. And it had, it was amazing. It had something fried. Oh my gosh, it was fried and crunchy. It was like a little bit of everything. Sour, sweet, um, salty, crunchy. So it was like a whole party in my mouth. And sometimes when we come into faith, because all of us are whole beings, we don't just have like a faith hat that we put on. When we come to Jesus and we're growing in the Christian life, we come and we bring everything with us, right? We bring all of our, our growing up years. We bring the way we've related to parents or caregivers. We bring um, the relationships that we've had and how we re reacted to them. We bring our hopes and fears, our memories. We bring all of us. When we come to God, we don't just shunt that to the side and be like, now I'll practice the spiritual life. But we come as full beings and we're invited to lean in to all the different aspects of our life and invite God to bring God's new life into all those different aspects of life. But sometimes what we've gone through in the past means that some things in our dish that we bring, the dish of our life that we bring to God are skewed. Some of us might have grown up with a lot of salty stuff and we bring and the whole dish is salty, which case we're like, oh my gosh, that tastes sweet, that's so good. Or, oh, pickle, that's a little different than salt or something fried. It means that that tastes especially good to us. Some of you might have grown up with a lot of sweet, so much sweet, it was sickly, you didn't like it. And then you come to God and you're like, oh, that salty is so good. I love it, it's just what I need, a little bit of pickle. Some of you might have just grown up with pickle, I'm sorry. <laughs> So sometimes like when we come to the spiritual life, there are different aspects of faith that will appeal to us more and not just appeal to us more, but that we need. That we need in order to be integrated and balanced human beings. So friends, for some of you, when we talk about being yielded to God in prayer, some of you might need to disengage from ways of yielding that were harmful, that did not bring good. That is the, that's what you need. You need a little bit of that disengaging so that things can be untangled. And some of you might need to have actually maybe the other thing that Dan was talking about, a little bit of the salty. You're in control of your life and you need to be told, hey, God wants to take the reins. God really wants to move with you. God really wants to, you to say yes so God can bring new things into your life. For some of you, you might need to hear God saying, it's okay to slow down and learn to trust me. It's okay if you're not ready to say yes right now. 
It's okay if you don't even know how to yield because the only yielding you've done has been people taking things from you and taking things from you. And the only kind of yielding you've done has been harmful. So if that is you, then I invite you to let God into there. Go to safe people, find help, grow your boundaries, find stories of other survivors. You are not alone and it's okay to be there. You are not there because you are a bad person or because it's your fault. And if you need to hear, those of you who have it under control, that God is inviting you to pray this prayer, not your will but mine, then I encourage you to lean into that. If you don't have any baggage with that, run with it. We need your life filled with God's life to encourage the rest of us, those who have been damaged and harmed and hurt. So whether this message seems a little sweet for you or a little salty, I just know that we all come from different places, right? And we all have different um, stories that we bring with us and different experiences we bring with us. So wherever you are, you might need to disentangle a little bit or you might need to not need to disentangle at all, but you might need to do kind of like what Dan did with me this last week as he sat next to me on the couch and listened to me as I watched and did some personal disentangling. So moving to number two in your notes, cultivating a yielded posture in prayer means discovering the dynamics of prayer for myself. So first of all, cultivating a uh, yielded posture in prayer means disengaging from ways of yielding that bring goodness and those that don't. Number two, it means discovering the dynamics of prayer for myself. And I have, like, I think, a screenshot on the next page. Uh, or if it's no screenshot, I'll just invite you to go look at the text to verses 39. Jesus says, My Father, if this is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So can you keep that in your mind? Not as I will, but you will. And then a couple of verses later, he prays, Your will will be done. Those two things are phrases we've heard already in the book of Matthew when Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray. He invited them to pray that God's kingdom come, your will be done, he says. And the reason why is so that our world can be filled with goodness. It's so that, it's so that the, those who are peacemakers and not just peacekeepers, so they can be called the children of God. It's so that people who need mercy, those who are merciful, can receive mercy. It's so that all the good things in God's kingdom can come to pass in our world when we pray, your will be done. And in verse 41, he tells his disciples in this text today, Jesus says, watch and pray so you don't fall into temptation. Also from the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer in the message version, it says something like, keep us safe from ourselves and the devil, which I love. It's just like so simple. Keep us safe from ourselves and the evil out there. So this dynamic, this dynamic of coming to God and asking for God's will to be done, it's something that we cultivate in ourselves when we come to God every single day and we invite God to do God's work in the world. It's part of this give and take. Sometimes we are involved in helping this come to pass in the world. Sometimes we're involved in cheering it on where it happens as God's kingdom grows among us. But there's always this dynamic here inside us, around us, as God's kingdom wants to be grown in the world. Because there's power, friends, when we yield. When we say yes to God and God's life is able to move in ours. Like Mary. When Mary told the angel, let it be unto me, I say yes. What you've said sounds good. And suddenly, Jesus is born in the world. That's pretty amazing, right? If we think about other yeses in scripture when really good things happen. Can you think of any yeses where good things happen? I'm thinking of when Jesus says yes to be baptized. 
This is kind of a complicated one, sorry. Jesus says, yes, we baptize, and then the Spirit rests on him. It's like, yay, it's a party. You said yes to identifying with humans, and now God is like, woohoo, we're with you. There's these moments where we say yes, and good things happen. And then because Jesus is filled with the Spirit, the dead are raised, and the sick are healed. And those who need forgiveness receive forgiveness. It's powerful. When we say yes to God, good things happen. There's something you're wrestling with today or that you'd like to give with, to God, but you're not sure if you can. Maybe if you think there's something that God is asking of you, something that will bring God's goodness into the world and your life, even if it's hard and there's a cost, I invite you to ask God for some divine encouragement, for some guidance, for God's refreshment. Because within the dynamics of prayer, yes, there's this push and pull. We see that in Jesus' own prayer, not my will, but yours. But there's also divine encounter. What the book of Matthew doesn't tell you right here in this passage, you have to go to Luke. Thank God there's different gospel writers, right? They each share something different. You go to the book of Luke and it tells you that when Jesus is praying this prayer in the garden, an angel comes and ministers to him. Who'd have thought that? I forgot that even happened. It wasn't until I was reading this cute little book by Henry Nouwen. It's this little tiny one. Uh, it's phenomenal. It's about the different cups that Jesus drinks and invites us to, to lean into the, those different sort of aspects of life. Um, I think it's called Can You Drink This Cup? It's beautiful. Um, but it wasn't until I read that that I even found out there was an angel. I'm like, there's no angel that appeared in the garden. He's making that up. And then I read Luke. I'm like, oh, I missed that. It's like within the push and pull and the tension is God's own blessing and life and empowerment. There's this dynamic there. You're not alone when you pray. God is with you. We can move to number three in our notes. Cultivating a yielded posture in prayer means delighting in the deliverer who yielded first. Delighting in the deliverer who yielded first. A few weeks ago, I was having coffee with a pastor friend, and I was sharing with them just how discouraged I was uh, because the purchasing of a home, our family was in the middle of purchasing a home in Aliamanu, and it fell apart. We found something about the house in the purchasing process that meant it was no longer a fit for our family. And it wasn't anything we could change about it. It was like nothing we could change. I remember being so discouraged. Like, purchasing a home just means a lot to me. I've never lived in a home that my family owned or that I owned, and I was really looking forward to it. I'd already moved in my mind. I was already telling Pastor Cheryl where everything was going. <laughs> I had a clear picture in my mind when it kind of all fell apart. And I was telling this to my pastor friend, and honestly, I was really hoping they wouldn't like, say a platitude. Like, it'll work out in the end. Like, I'm allowed to say that, but don't you tell me that. <laughs> I didn't want to hear something like, um, oh, don't worry, just trust God. You know, which is, there can be true things that you are just not ready to hear in the moment. Like, if I'm, all, if I'm all dressed up for church, and I'm ready to go, and we're running out the door, and I tell Dan, like, how does this look? How does this look? I tell you, the only right answer is yes. <laughs> If I don't have time to change, the answer is yes. And then later on, you can be like, oh, you know that other shirt? I really like that one better. <laughs> that's great. That's great. But you got to read the room, right? You got to read the room. <laughs> In this case, thankfully, my friend read the room well. And he said this. It's a, it's a question that I'm still, still thinking about. And he says, can you view this as an opportunity to let God build trust with you? Can you view this as an opportunity to let God build trust with you? And I love that so much because I've often heard about us growing in trust for God. How can we grow in trust for God? In that moment, my pastor friend turned it all on its head and said, God wants to build trust with you. 
God wants to be able to reveal God's self as trustworthy, as deliverer, as savior, as healer, as empower and accompanier. And God does that in little ways and builds trust with us. It's not just this great vacuum where God's like, yo, follow me, do what I say. And you're like, okay. God doesn't desire that. But God wants this relationship where there is trust, where God has revealed God's self as the good, kind, fully integrated, most healed human being ever, no flaws, just goodness, mercy, and love. Friends, I invite you to think how God, how might God build trust with you today? I have on the next slide some different categories of ways that God might be inviting you to yield to God or to let God build trust with you. Some of you are like, yes, I need to yield my health to God. Some of you might be like, you know what? I want God to build trust with me regarding my health. I'm not sure I trust God right now with my health. I need, I need God to show up in a way I can recognize that God is with me in the situation. Some of you, it might be, you know, our church, because we're moving, friends. We're hoping to move in July. We're hoping by August 1st to be fully over in our new place and settling in and probably meeting online as we, you know, put everything into the right rooms and all that, make the space our own. Some of you might be like, you know what? I fully yield that to God. I can do that. Some of you might be like, no, God, will you build trust me with me in this area? Might be your finances. God, I can totally give you my finances. I've been in control of them, but I am fine surrendering that to you. Or might pinch a little, but I know there's something good on the other side. Some of you might be like, you know what? I need God to build some trust with me because I feel like this is a hot mess. I'm not sure how to move forward. And I really need God to show up for me. So I invite you as I pray in just a minute to identify something, something that either you can yield to God in prayer or something you can invite God to build trust with you. Because friends, we are here, we come as our full selves, even when we don't recognize it. We know somehow that God is inviting us to this cultivation of yieldedness, whether it means setting some boundaries and growing and healing in ways that we have been hurt, or it means releasing those parts that we've held on too tightly and we need the freedom of God being in control of that area of our lives. So wherever you come from today, I invite you as we go into this yielded posture in prayer, <laughs> how, whatever you need, whether you need God to build trust with you or you're ready to yield things over, let's pray. Maybe we can have that on the screen. Uh, it would be wonderful, Karen, just so in case someone needs a reminder of something to pop up. Okay, let's pray, friends. <sighs> Jesus, thank you that you are in your very nature a God who brings good into the world. Starting from the first moments when you spoke your life and the world was created to when you breathed your breath of life into the first humans, to here getting ready to demonstrate the depths of divine love on the cross, knowing how hard it was gonna be to feel all of the pain and terror and harm that we humans can do to each other, but choosing it anyway, because you knew it would bring your good in powerful ways in the world. Healing God, may you reach out to us, whether we're disentangling or whether we just need to yield when we can't. Powerful God, may you compel us with you, with your love, with your goodness, to be able to move in this prayer dynamic with you, where there's giving and taking, there's also receiving, where you're, you're giving to us of God's own self. 
just as those angels minister to you. And Lord, I pray you build trust with us, that you continue to reveal yourself as the God who is faithful, who is merciful, who is forgiving, who brings good into our world. In the quiet of this moment, in the stillness of our hearts now, we identify that that aspect of life. We either want to yield to you or we invite you to build trust with us in. Thank you for seeing and for answering our prayer. In Jesus' name.